planning the road to success, there are a few steps to keep in mind. Identifying and solving the cause, facing and embracing change, goal setting, and being accountable. We'll talk about this today on Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. New and healthier habits lead to prosperity in all areas of your life and business. Now, here's your host, Chris Salem. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show. If you're new to sustainable success, we welcome you here. Again, if you're learning how to create a a sustainable platform for not only your business, but also for your personal life, you are in the right place. And if you are new to us, not only can you find us on Voice America Influencers Channel and iTunes, but also our Facebook page at Sustainable Success 2017. We encourage you to check that out where you can listen to many of our great guests that we've had on sharing their words of wisdom and helping you to build your businesses the sustainable way and then also creating a prosperous and sustainable lifestyle as well. We're going to have a great show today and our show is being brought to you by LinkedIn Unplugged and they are hosting their first event in the greater New York area August 24th and 25th. Again, this is going to be bringing in LinkedIn influencers and others that want to network the right way during that weekend. It'll be held at the Orange County Choppers. If you remember that show way back then, they're still around. It's going to be held there, and it's going to have a different kind of uh, mentality. It's going to have the go-giver mentality. You remember Bob Berg being on the show last year. So your people are coming to give, not just receive, because we always give without expectation receive without resistance. So check it out on Eventbrite. You can just put in hashtag LinkedIn Unplugged NY. You can check out all the information and you'll have a lot of the LinkedIn influencers that will be present at that event. We encourage you to check it out. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to have a great topic we're discussing today, how to develop a real brand. And our guest today is Sean Dodell. And before I introduce Sean, I want to give you a brief background about Sean. And I had the, the, the privilege of meeting Sean at an event in his hometown or his home state of Arizona this past April. Uh, Sean is a multimillionaire and a successful entrepreneur in a very uncommon business. At the age of 18, he entered into the music industry as the drummer for the band Grey Days and the singer Chester Bennington eventually became part of one of the biggest rock bands of all time, Linkin Park. And what a wonderful guy he was. And during his time in the music industry, he opened first business called Club Tattoo, which would grow to six locations in Arizona and eventually two on the Las Vegas Strip at Planet Hollywood Miracle Mile Shops and the Link Hotel and Casino. Sean has taken a previously thought of CD business in, in, in a tattoo company and turned it into a modern luxury brand that is known throughout the world. He and his company have been featured in over 300 magazines and television programs such as GQ and Forbes. Club Tattoo has become the world's most renowned tattoo and piercing brand company and is continually growing with Sean in the role as its leader and visionary. And without further ado, we welcome Sean Dodell to the show. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. What a great intro. Thank you. Absolutely, Sean. It's such a pleasure. I've been looking forward to the show for quite some time when we met back in April. And, you know, you are, you know, you are the proof in the example of building a real brand. And when people think about branding, a lot of times they, you know, think about it's just maybe perhaps what they do. But, you know, it seems like for 
what the business that you're in, it's more than just what you do. So what I'd like to maybe talk, you know, share with the readers, just kind of your experience and journey, the grassroots of when you started, you know, and how you built the brand that you have, uh, that you bring today to the world. Okay. Uh, in 1995, I was 21 and, uh, me and the bass player for the band Great A's that you mentioned uh, in the intro decided to open up a tattoo shop. And uh, myself, the bass player there, and the singer Chester, we basically worked for several months. We were working on the road as a band and becoming quite successful. But as the band was making money, we weren't putting money back into our own pockets. So we had to kind of figure out a way that every time we went on tour, we didn't come back super broken in debt. So we came up with the idea of opening up a tattoo shop and, and partnering on that. And we did that. We called it Club Tattoo. And we basically leveraged the success and fame of the band in our, in our local network to give some life to this new business. So every time we would play a show, we would sponsor the, the show by Club Tattoo. And we made it seem bigger than it was. And then at that time, we were playing with a lot of national acts, everyone from Vince Neil and Seven Mary Three and No Doubt and Bush. We would bring those bands over to the tattoo shop right before or after sound check, and then we'd give them free tattoos and, we, and basically ask them to go up on stage and just tell the crowd how great we were. And, of course, we would plaster the crowd with flyers. And literally within a year or two of us doing this, the tattoo shop really took off. I think uh, early on, what the vision of it was, was, you know, at the time there was only seven or eight tattoo shops in all of Arizona. So uh, we are really breaking into uh, what I would call an emerging, emerging category. Everything that was available at that time was kind of a seedy old bikerish kind of tattoo parlor, if you will, um, as far as a business model. And I hated it. I didn't want to be anything like that. So, uh, early on, I realized that women never felt comfortable in those environments. They had these older, you know, just gross kind of biker guys that were inappropriate or uh, it just seemed dirty and unsafe and, and women didn't feel safe in it. So I, I saw a niche right away and said, well, if we make women feel comfortable here, the women will come and not only want to do business here, but they'll bring their men, their boyfriends, their husbands, whatever, and they will spend their money as well. So right away we captured a market that wasn't being serviced and made our business model female friendly and once wow. we did that eventually it evolved and uh in 1998 the band ended up breaking up and chester went on to lincoln park and i basically put all of my um resources and time and energy into club tattoo and really made the brand exposed uh, explode and then uh, in 2001, Chester and I reconciled, and he became my business partner with my wife, Thora, and myself. And we ended up opening our third studio at that point with Chester. And from that point, we started to get major global notoriety. We ended up doing a major shoe deal with a brand called Etnies. And that put us on a global stage that we didn't really have before. That platform really, you know, we started selling our branded club tattoo items in Japan and in Russia and in France and in Italy. We actually did our shoe launch in Paris. Um, so, you know, from a local tattoo shop, we really had this global exposure just that didn't exist in, in the tattoo world at that time. As far as developing the brand, I think what we did that was so different was we had to figure out what we were and 
what made us different than the other tattoo parlors. And the very first thing was we, we hated the word parlor. So we didn't even want to include ourselves in the group that we theoretically belonged in in that industry. So we called ourselves a tattoo and piercing studio, and we elevated the experience for the consumer and made it feel a lot more like a very upscale hair salon or art gallery. And that really hurt us a little bit in the beginning because people weren't used to an upscale environment. So when they walked in, they felt out of place, so to speak. But the ones that liked the elevated experience for shopping and services got it right away. But we did alienate the lower-end clientele. So that was a, le- a lesson I had to learn right away is I couldn't service two markets. I couldn't, I couldn't be the best at being the cheapest, and I couldn't be the best at the same time at being the higher-end, more expensive brand. So as a young man, this would have been 22, 23 years old at this point, I, I said, well, I don't want to be in the mix with everyone trying to compete for the cheapest. I don't want to race to the bottom. I'd rather maybe have a smaller portion of the market but have an elevated product and be able to charge a little bit more and just separate myself from the, the fighting fish at the other end. And that was really what made our brand different early on. Yeah. And you talked about something there. You brought it up with experience. And I think that is so important. When you talk about a brand, it's often not just the product or service, you know, the service in itself. It's really, you know, what's the experience It goes above and beyond that. And you pointed it out. Can you, can you hone in a little bit on the experience? Cause I think that's where sometimes I think people, especially that, you know, some of our audience may, you know, when they're thinking about building their brand, they may just be focusing on the product and service itself. And that's important, but the experience even goes above and beyond to really solidify things. Can you talk about that experience? Why is that so important? Absolutely. So in order to actually develop a brand, you really have to dig down in many facets of what it is you do. So the first thing, of course, is what do you do? What do you offer? What do you sell? So once you've done that, you have you, you, can, you can identify your competitive market, right? Who else is selling the same widgets you are? So in my case, we had other shops that were selling tattoos and piercings. Well, what was it that was going to make us different? Was it the look of our shop? That was one thing. So the aesthetic. We brought a different... Um, visual aesthetic to our uh, um, our clients' experience. When they walked into the stores, it was very upscale. We had art on the walls. If you were to walk into a traditional tattoo parlor at the time, you'd see what was called Tattoo Flash, which is the hand-drawn designs all over the walls. It was really messy, super unorganized. If somebody came in and actually wanted to get a heart tattooed on them, basically the tattoo artist at the time would just kind of point at the wall and say, you can need to kind of look look along the wall for this design or, you know, tell it, tell us uh, if you see anything you like. Well, we, we changed that experience from day one. So instead of making it unorganized, let's make it the user experience lead their own path to get the tattoo that they want. And that way they feel a little bit more in control. So we took the flash, the designs off the wall. We put them in very organized, easy to get to books. Eventually, in 2007, I actually created with a, a partner of mine a piece of software called Interactive Tattoo. We brought everything in-house to a proprietary touchscreen interface system and basically took the Google model, except we, we flipped it on its, uh, on its end, 
And as the user would come into the shop, they'd say, do you have any hearts? And we'd bring them over to the interactive tattoo touchscreen. And there was an alphabetically uh, categorized system. They could hit the letter H and then hearts would pop up and they could thumb through all of the pictures of hearts that were drawn, that were painted, that were sketches, that were, um, you know, photos of, of real life paintings. So not just hand-drawn uh, artwork was available anymore. And it was very very systemized and uh, easy to get to for the client. So the experience the client got right off the bat, they led their own journey and they felt in control. They didn't feel pushed into buying this or buying that. And the unexpected consequence for us in a good way was that it kept our clients um, who maybe weren't exactly sure they were going to get a tattoo that day. It kept them in our store for two or three hours, whereas the other average times were 15 to 20 minutes because they'd kind of look around and not really find anything that was catching their eye. But this interactive experience we created for them kept them in our store longer, which, you know, inevitably made them spend more money and feel a lot more trusting in what it was that we had to offer. The client experience actually came before the quality of the work. The quality of the Mm. work was super important, but I would say it's 50% of what the client is going to get. And the the example I'll use in this is, uh, you know, when I'm teaching a marketing class or, or talking about business, I, I uh, in the tattoo industry specifically, I, I'll ask the room, you know, how many people in the room know somebody with a bad tattoo? And everybody raises their hand. I say, okay, I'm the same people that just raised their hand. How many people that has a, that that you know that have a bad tattoo? How many of those people think their tattoo is great? And they they raise their hand again. And I say, why is that? And everyone has this perplexed look on their face. This is because they're not art connoisseurs. They had a good experience with whoever it was that gave them that tattoo. Now, if you can capture a great experience and give them a great tattoo, then you truly are a differentiator in the market, and that's what we did. So we we really broke it into two categories. How did the client feel along the process of getting the tattoo, choosing that tattoo, creating the art, getting the piercing, choosing the jewelry for their piercing? How was that experience for them? And then, of course, you had the product itself. And that's what really made us rise above the rest of the uh, competitive market. I think that's fabulous. And you really, I mean, what you just said, I mean, it's a process, right? The experience is a process. And it involved it really like from right from the time they walk in, like you involve them in that process that they have they ha- they play a part in that process. And I think that's so important because when they make that decision to move forward, like you said, when you know, in terms of getting a tattoo, a piercing or both, and they're being now they're part of that experience, they're like they're working with you in a way, they're obviously more likely to come back. And then refer people, and what? And that's a sustainable business model. That's what we love to hear here. Absolutely, at, at, that's what it's so so fantastic, and and it's so key that like what like at a young age that you were able to you know really grasp that you know because so many people that you know get into business you know kind of learn the hard way, but you know you were able to kind of at an early age really to really see the bigger picture, you know, and and that is such a fantastic thing. Um, we got about four minutes to the break, uh, Sean. So I wanted to, you know, just talk about what would be some of the other things that you feel when when people are looking to develop a real brand for themselves. What would be some things that they could do to kind of start building that foundation to move forward? Like, you know, I always say that, you know, if you're going to build a beautiful home, you gotta you gotta have a rock solid foundation before you can do that. What would be some other things that you could recommend? to business owners just starting out or maybe looking to revamp their businesses 
in terms of, you know, establishing that foundation toward building their brand? So for me, a brand has to have passion. So I will have a lot of entrepreneurs or, or soon to be entrepreneurs that will come up to me and ask my advice. And, and the very first thing I have to try to target in on and find out what it is they're passionate about. If they're telling me they're going to sell widgets for two cents a piece, manufacture it overseas and bring it in and sell it to a bunch of vendors they never get to meet or handshakes and everything is on the internet. I personally am not interested in that, those types of business models. They, they bore me. I could never do something like that. And I don't care how much money you're making out of there. are plenty of people that do that type of business model. I'm not speaking down to it, but it just doesn't yeah. speak to me. Find your passion. So that's first. Um, if you can do what you're passionate about, then the work won't, be that hard. And what I mean by that is um, the work will still be hard, but you won't find it easy to quit when it gets really hard. And that's what will separate a true successful entrepreneur from somebody who quits when things get hard. Because if you're not passionate about what it is you're doing with your brand, then when things get really tough, because they're going to get tough, then it's really easy to throw in the towel, myself included. I've, I've involve myself in other businesses that I wasn't passionate about. And of course, 2020 hindsight, you look back, well, what went wrong? And, and the, the key determining factor every time was I didn't love that business. I just got into that business because I thought I could make some money or it seemed easy. And uh, it just seemed like a great way to diversify my, you know, my portfolio allocation. Uh, it just never was passion for me. And so it was easy for me when things got tough to go, you know what, let's fold, fold the tent and do something else. Uh, so that's the number one thing I say to young entrepreneurs because, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, small businesses fail when you first start. I think the, the yeah. percentage is rather high for, for failure. And uh, if you can weather those failures early on by just still keep going no matter what, then you'll uh, probably have a much better chance of being successful. No, it's so true uh, when you talk about passion. I mean, because like you said, you know, you know, business is, you know, like a roller coaster, right? You're going to have the ups and downs. You got, it's like the economy, you know, the stock market. And, you know, so it, it, and if you don't have that passion, you don't have the will to keep going. It's just, you always know that you're in it because you're, you're just connected to it. It resonates with your core values and your principles. And, Knowing that, you know, by going through those challenges, you know, in the long run, you know, you're going to come out ahead. And, you know, it's just all part of the process. So, so important. So um, just in summer, we got about uh, just about 30 seconds to the break. Uh, just any other final comments before, you know, we're going to segment into the next uh, part of the show after the break. But any final comments that you would like to make just to sum things up from what we talked about? Absolutely. So when you're developing a brand, you touch on something really good, Chris. Uh, Find out what your core values are. Find out what it is that you truly believe in because it'll make your business that much better if you can implement those core values into your business model. Uh, That really ring true for me as soon as you said that and it's something I absolutely believe in. You know, we want to give a good experience in our company. We want people to feel good about what it is they just purchased. We want it to be a life-changing moment. So those things are things we focus on on the front end. makes it a lot easier to get to the end result. So find what your core values are. Try to implement them into your business model. Awesome. Awesome. You're listening to Sean Dodell, How to Develop a Real Brand, and we'll be right back after the break.
What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining a healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795 or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Well, welcome back. We're here with Sean Dadal, again, the Tattoo Millionaire, founder and CEO of Club Tattoo, and again, former bandmate with Chester Bennington. Uh, Again, we're talking about how to develop a real brand. And this is such an important topic when it comes to just about any business, whether if you're a solopreneur, you uh, operate a small business or a large business. It's so, so important. And, you know, had Sean had shared some of his, his grassroots and some uh, basic information on how to build that foundation to develop a brand and using the experience as a great way to, you know, to elevate your product and service to another level. So, Sean, getting back to when we talk about developing a brand, you know, obviously that requires marketing, you know, marketing, influence and all that type of stuff. Can you discuss some different, you know, marketing strategies that you've used in the past, maybe that you're currently using now that have worked successfully for you? Because I think that might relate to some of the, the listeners that may be able to use that information for what they're doing now. Absolutely. So, um you know, one of the things that listeners need to understand is I'm a brick and mortar business. So we have, you know, seven locations um, in Arizona and Las Vegas. So the type of marketing strategy that we uh, use may be a little bit different uh, conceptually than some of the other business entrepreneurs that you may have listening. But for, for our company, one of the best things that we have done um, is getting our clients to be part of the brand builders. And what I mean by that was early on, um, this may sound silly, but it was one of the best branding things we ever did for marketing. Uh, uh, whatever, one of the best marketing things we ever did for the brand was we, we created these stickers that people would put on their cars that simply said Club Tattoo in a really cool font, and we gave them away for free. And early on, it was very expensive for us because these stickers were buck fifty. You know, we're buying a thousand of them at a time, and that was a lot of money. Well, eventually by around 2001, 2002, we had about 300,000 of these stickers driving around Arizona. And I, I am not joking when I tell you, you could not drive for 48 hours in this town without seeing one of these things. Wow, that's so, awesome. So the, the, 
single best brand builder uh, marketing tool that we had. So think outside the box. You know, um, try to do things that um, get eyes on your name, your brand that don't cost a lot of money. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of anti is these huge social media funding marketing campaigns. Um, I get pitched on it all the time. And we have a rather large social media following. We're very active in it. So the thing I concentrate on the social media side uh, is getting the interactions from your followers, getting people to interact with your brand and talk on your pages and go back and forth, ask them questions, ask what they like, ask what they don't like ask their opinions on certain things that you're doing with your company and get them to engage into the content that you're providing. Um, I am not real big on trying to get how many likes I can get on per post. And I know a lot of social media teams will try to sell you on that, how many followers they can get you, how many likes they can get you. Well, the thing that always pops in the forefront of my mind is likes never paid my rent. And the, the, the example I'll use on, on this, and maybe it's a poor example, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind is you see all, you know, hundreds of these Instagram models on there, right? And they've got a million followers and they, they post a photo of them in a bikini and they've got, you know, 800,000 likes and, you know, they're still living in a basement with their parents or a one-bedroom exactly. apartment and they, they, don't have any, they don't have any financial success. They just have a bunch of, you know, salivating men following their accounts. And that's not what I call uh, great marketing, uh, you know. I, I, I find it hard to monetize that type of a business model. So for me, it's about engagement, getting the people that you do have and engaging with those people, whether it's 100 people or 50 people or 500,000 people. Engage with the people that actually are enjoying what you're doing on the social media side. And you can pay for a little bit of the social media reach um, just to get your name, your brand, your content out there. But I'm not real big on pouring thousands and thousands of dollars down that road. I would rather have a very solid website and concentrate on the SEO, uh, you know, the the uh, the search engine optimization for your for your for your company's website to get people back to whatever it is that you want them to uh, to buy, or in our case, uh, to set up appointments and to see how they can um, get into our studios to get a tattoo or a piercing and see what the offerings are. Uh, the other thing that I am really really adamant about is reviews. The reviews say a lot about your brand, and if you can get your clients to uh, leave reviews, and you don't have to bribe them with, you know, uh, free this or free that, but you know, try try to push them in a, in a in a gentle way to leave nice reviews for you. People actually do read reviews, and for us, the the, the giant uh, in the room is Google. The Google reviews outweigh any other review platform such as Facebook or Yelp. You know, uh, twenty to one uh, in most most of the. Uh, markets that we're in. So I would strongly push people to, to do the reviews. Those are things that you can do for free that don't cost you any money that still help build and push your brand. One of the last little tidbits on the marketing platform that I'll give you from the social media side and engagement side is a lot of people don't realize that uh, search engines like Google, they pull from image factories. So if you're doing anything imagery, if you're selling tools, or if you're selling, um, you know, I don't know, uh, shirts or whatever it is that you're selling, try to make sure you're taking lots of content photographs and then posting them not only on your website, but you also want to tag them back to your Pinterest account. And the reason that is, is Pinterest is the only social media platform that Google actually uses in its SEO uh, search for those those types of images. And when we're talking about image search specifically. So 
for us, when we do a tattoo of, let's say, a rose, we'll pin it to our Google business page, we'll pin it to our website, and then we'll pin it back to Pinterest. And then Google actually uses all three of those image hits to get back to our website. And it, and it has been one of the best tools that we've used, and it's basically cost us nothing. That is key. That is like some golden nuggets right there for everyone, uh, Sean. I think that is so important, you know, getting eyeballs. And you also mentioned something about, you know, you talked about the engagement. And I think that's so important because, you know, business is built upon relationships. And I am sure in your business over the years, you've developed great relationships with people, not only people that are regulars to Club Tapu, but these are people that have become perhaps your sphere of influence and when people have great experiences and, and, and they align with your values and principles on some level, they refer people. Can, if that's the case, can you t- shed some insight on that? Because I think that's highly valuable and plays into everything you've just talked about with these different marketing strategies using social media as well. You know, I think I grew up in the age of the 80s um, where, as I was learning about business, you'd hear these phrases, you know, the customer's always right, the customer's always right. And and, and this is probably going to go against everything <laughs> maybe you believe. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe that, Chris. I, I think that uh, if, the, if the customer is right, then the customer is right. And we make sure that we treat them accordingly. But in this day and age where people can... Um, use their social media leverage to uh, extort businesses into doing things that they don't want to. That's, that is one negative that I wanted to touch on. And yeah. I don't want businesses to get discouraged with that. And somebody leaves a negative review or somebody, um, you know, talks poorly about your company online just because they want to free this or free that. If, if they're out of line, don't be afraid to tell them that they're out of line and stick to your core values. Once again, yeah. don't always yep. give in just because you feel like you have to, uh, and now this is a very small part of what I do in my business, so I don't I don't want to make it more than it is. Oh no, I think it's a great point because it's on. something that really is not talked about, and I agree with you on that. I agree. Keep going. Sorry uh, about that. No, that's okay. Uh, and and so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. As far as um, the the things that you want to make sure on the relationship side is is you. You, you, you just said something very important that you do have a relationship with your client, whether, whether it's a physical handshake, look, look the client in the eye relationship, or if it's a trust or a bond that's been built between your company and that client's experience. And that to me is, is everything. Uh, my brand hopefully speaks to our clients as something they trust, something they love, and something they know that they can count on for quality. And that's one of the 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 biggest points that we push our staff into making sure that that is part of the experience is getting that relationship between the brand, the company and the client. It doesn't have to be a personal relationship. It is something that is built between the client and their perception of what it is that you're offering. So make sure that whatever that is, that it's a positive and honest experience for that client. So that relationship can build over time. We have second and third generation uh, clients now because their parents and their grandparents had such a great experience in our company early on that they've learned to trust whatever it is that we're doing and they bring the people that they love and they care about into our world. And that's important to me. Is those relationships mean a lot. Wow, that's so key. Yeah, because it is so important. You know, relationships because they go a long way and and like I said, you know, people like to refer people they trust and and find credible. So important. 
Sean, what would you recommend, you know, when somebody's trying to build their brand, what would be some of the things you mentioned a couple things that you wouldn't recommend, but what are some of the things that you would recommend that people don't do? It may be based upon personal experience or you had mentioned something about like, you know, uh, you know, Instagram ads and, you know, likes and all that. Those are usually things that would you wouldn't, you know, recommend. But what would be some of the things that you could probably help somebody so that they maybe perhaps don't learn, you know, learn the hard way? So let's focus specifically on brick and mortar for this marketing discussion. Yeah. Um, just being, being my, my area of expertise on, on this specific topic. Um, I would say do as much grassroots in the marketing as you can. You get out there, shake hands, kiss babies, so to speak. Put your flyers, put your whatever assets, whatever marketing assets you have. Do as much physically on the ground in your um, uh, proximity to your business. Uh, your local community is so important. A lot of people, they don't understand demographics and proximity. So make sure that you have a grasp on where it is that you want to do business where it is that you're drawing your business from. In, in other words, if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, and your business is on you know, the corner of 12th Street and, and Camelback, you're not going to try to market 40 miles away. It doesn't make sense. The proximity has to make sense for what it is you're doing. Spend little amounts of the time to see the successes. Make sure you measure what it is that you're putting in and measure what's coming back. What is your ROI on whatever you're spending? It's very important to make sure that you understand um, where your business is coming from. So what we did uh, was very simple. We had a simple little ledger, and our employees, our staff, would ask the clients, hey, how did you hear about us? And somebody would say, you know, I heard about you on Instagram, or I heard about you on a flyer that I saw in the local record store, or I, saw, I got referred to you by a Google review, or another client sent you our way. And that way, when we did six months' worth of analyzing on where these clients came from, it was really easy for us to make marketing decisions go, well, this area of um, uh, ROI is, is the best. We, we're seeing, you know, seven out of ten people are coming from referrals or Google reviews. Let's put our money into SEO that, that, find, that people will find us through this channel. And I think a lot of people, they just throw money at the wall and see what sticks, and they're not actually measuring the results. And if you don't measure the results, you don't know what's working. You don't know why it's working. And therefore, you're just kind of hoping it's working. And that's a horrible business plan. So measure what it is you're putting in, measure the result, figure out what's working in each category, and then um, allocate your marketing dollars accordingly. Yeah, that's valuable information. Again, if you're just here, if you're just joining us, you know, you're getting some valuable information here from Sean. Again, you can always listen to this on demand, which will be available later today. And this is so key. I, I can't I can't agree with you more. It, it's so important. Like and you mentioned something, you know, having a plan. You gotta have a strategy. You gotta be able to track and measure and and be able to, you know, again, start small, start where you are and then move out upward. You can't just throw mud at a wall, like you said, and see what sticks. Because so many people fall into that. They say, well, you should be doing this. You should be doing that because they've been led to believe by some online marketer this is the way to do it. It always comes back to you and your values, what you feel and what your audience, you know, how they're interacting and how what what's important to them in terms of how you market to them. So that's so important. So we got a few, uh, few minutes left. And, and keep in mind go that. Ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to. No, go ahead, John. Go, no, please to, do. To interject real quick. You know, make sure that you understand that, that these, that these um, uh, 
these social media teams, they're everywhere now. And, and this, for a small business owner, it's really easy to get sucked in. Don't think that impressions, you know, when they tell you, we're going to get you a million impressions, you can't pay your rent with impressions. Try to figure out what the return is monetarily, what the dollar spend coming back through the door in is on whatever it is that you're putting in place. So just there's something to keep in mind. Even if you don't have a strategy going into it, you can develop a strategy if you keep track of what it is you're doing. You can figure out what doesn't work really fast. And that, to me, that's almost more important than what does work because the things that don't work is lighting your money on fire. So figure out how to, uh, how to eliminate that from the equation as quickly as you can so that your, the dollars you are spending are going towards something positive that will help growing your company. Absolutely. I think that is such key information, uh, Sean, that you've just given, you know, it's, you know, you got to plan. It's like, you know, measure, you know, you measure twice, you cut once, you know, that whole, that old uh, saying that people say. So it's so important that, again, you just don't do what, because somebody else is doing it. You know, it doesn't, just because it might work for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And when it comes down to it, it's, you got to look at the things that are going to give you the best potential to generate results. So true. We got a couple minutes um, left, uh, Sean, to the break, and I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, like loans and you know financing. But we may not have enough. But maybe we can start and we can pick up after break. Talk about, you know, you know, in terms of where you started your business and where you are today, the importance of, you know, the the flow of money, either whether if it's financing, loans, that type of thing, where they're necessary, and and we can continue after the break. So I'll give you a quick synopsis of my, my theory on this. So my wife and I, um, well, I started my company um, 1995 with $7,000, and now the company is worth about $30 million. Uh, we've taken on some strategic capital injection uh, via um, partner and via bank loans. So I am very adamant when you take on a bank loan, you have to know how the business is going to be able to pay for that, for that um, expense. And you have to have room to fail because there's going to be things, especially when you're taking on um, large amounts of money, making sure that whatever expenditures you have, uh, you mitigate the incorrect choices. You're going to make some bad choices. Try to make them small. Try to make small mistakes uh, so that uh, you can... Uh, change whatever strategy or change, cha- make changes on those spending habits very quickly because when you're using somebody else's money, sometimes it's very easy to forget how hard that money was to come by in the first place. So we can, we can tap into that when we come back from the break as well. No, that's so key. Yeah, we got a little less than a minute here, but yeah, absolutely. I know for certain, you know, like even when I had, you know, when I was taking loans for my business, I would always use it where I knew it was, you know, it was totally necessary, but I would always treat it like it was my own, you know, even again, sometimes I think people get caught up. Well, it's, Hey, it's not my money. It's somebody, it's the bank's money or somebody else's and they can get complacent with it, you know? So definitely you gotta, it's a different mindset. <laughs> no question about it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to expand it. I think it, we got about 30 that. seconds. Uh, and you want to cl- anything like elaborate in 10 or 15 seconds on that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you said that perfectly. If I were to ever hear an entrepreneur tell me that it's not, you know, it's not my money, I'm not really that worried about it, I would hit the brakes so fast, especially if I was involved with them in any capacity. The mindset is, this is your money. Not only is it your money, you're actually paying a premium to have that money. You're paying interest on this money. And 
most likely it's secured money, meaning if you fail, the banks are going to take something else you've already paid off. So it's very, very um, specific as to why you need to be careful borrowing money. Absolutely. Again, you're listening to Sean Dodell, How to uh, Develop a Real Brand, and we'll be right back after the break. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects. Surrounding yourself with family and loved ones. Nurturing your spirituality. Maintaining a healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness. And being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about eliminating limited beliefs or unblocking mindset barriers for entrepreneurs, sales professionals, business leaders, and professional athletes to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of resolving the root cause to the problem. The issue is that many people in businesses manage the problem but do not address the root cause to it. You now have the opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consultation calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Well, welcome back. Uh, again, we're here with Sean Dodell from Club, the founder and CEO of Club Tattoo. Again, uh, we've been talking about how to develop a real brand. And if you just uh, joined us, again, you can listen to the show in its entirety on demand later today here at the Voice American Influencers Channel or on iTunes. You can also visit us also at Facebook, uh, Sustainable Success 2017. Feel free to subscribe and follow us there as well. So, Sean, uh, we were talking a lot about you know marketing strategies in the last segment, social media. Can we just shed a little insight on the co-branding aspect. I mean, with what you do, I'm sure you've done a lot of co-branding and I think that could offer some, you know, insights for a way for businesses to diversify and grow their businesses. Absolutely. So, you know, collaborative branding, co-branding can really come in many um, different forms. And, in you know, the beginning uh, when I was just a one, uh, a one shop stop, you know, one shop location, my wife and I, what we would do is we would do local brand alignment. So we would, you know, we would partner with the local music festivals or the local hair salons or whatever other products or brands, whatever local businesses actually had good brand alignment, meaning that their core values aligned with our core values. And we would share a similar customer base, a similar demographic. So we could get into any type of events and do them together where it didn't cost a ton of money from our side or a ton of money from their side. Now, this, is, this isn't a small, you know, the single operative um, business model, right? So we would do as much locally as we could co-branding. Now, as our brand grew, we started doing bigger things and got, 
much more global exposure, and we started getting global collaborative things like uh, we did our, our own Etnies Club Tattoo branded shoe, and we ended up doing eight of those globally, and it was one of the most successful collaborative shoes that they had done today. We did this really cool tattoo art-inspired shoes. We ended up doing a deal with uh, bold-faced backpacks. Uh, so they have the different reach, but a similar clientele. Uh, we ended up doing a uh, deal with Jarden and Oster and bicycle playing cards. We had one of the most successful uh, playing card decks uh, to date. Uh, ended up getting picked up by global retailers and ended up selling a little over 300,000 decks of Club Tattoo playing cards, which are tattoo-inspired art playing cards, if you've seen those out. We ended up doing... Um, a deal with Jarden Hair Clippers and with Oster Hair Clippers. Uh, sorry, the parent company was Jarden at the time. But Oster, if you know the brand Oster, they make blenders. They make hair yeah, clippers. Yeah, I know. Make, yeah. Uh, a bunch of different stuff. It's huge. And they came to us and, and, and said, you know, we know your brand. It's doing great. You know, we'd like to buy some of your tattoo art. And I said, well, you know, at this point, we had done several of these collaborations. I said, why don't we do a collaboration? Well, we design it. We put our name on it, and you guys go out there and sell it. And it sold a million dollars worth of product within, um, I want to say, 30 days. So it, very successful, and it gave us a completely different global reach than we would have with just our own exposure to our own clients. So it really got a different set of eyes on us by doing these collaborative projects. And yes, we made some money on it, but that was never the point. This was specifically for brand identity, brand exposure, and brand alignment, right? Um, so I never went into any of these collaborative projects. My wife and I would always say, well, we may not make a dime on this, and that's okay because what this is truly about, this is a different type of branding for us. This is not about driving specific traffic at a certain time to sell a certain product. This is about brand identity, and that's what those global collaborative um, brand align alignments did for us. But on a well, local level, what I would recommend for – oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, keep going. Sorry. I was going to say, but on a local, on a local level, what I would suggest for small entrepreneurs is to, is to start small, start in your local community and find what other companies, what other brands align themselves at least in enough to where you wouldn't mind seeing your brand next to theirs. So for ours, we wanted to find elevated experience, elevated clients, elevated purchasing um, to align ourselves with. And it worked really well because once a client of, let's say, this really high-end salon in Scottsdale uh, was seeing our brand name next to a salon that they loved or, or, or were doing business with, then they automatically felt um, a connection with our company, even though they didn't know or trust our company yet. So those were really important early on for us, and I would really push um, small business owners to start in, in that arena. That is some valuable information. And like you said, it's so important for brand identity because, like you said, it opens up, you know, uh, your brand to new audiences and, you know, audiences that sometimes that maybe initially you would not have thought of. And and, and then Absolutely. when after you so it's uh, it's a wonderful way to a wonderful way to scale. So I think that's highly valuable. Again, some great information that Sean's leaving here. So we hope that you're taking this information uh, and putting it to use in your business and whatever that may be. So, so Sean, you got some great things coming up here. I mean, you got some new developments, I believe, in Las Vegas. So I'd like to, you know, have the listeners listen to some of the things that you're doing with Club Tattoo Empire and where that's going. 
So right now we're opening up our seventh studio, our third in Las Vegas at the Venetian Hotel and Casino in the Grand Canal Shops. Uh, we're located right next to a world-famous nightclub called Tau. Uh, maybe some of you have heard about it. Uh, my wife has been designing this for about the past six or seven months. Uh, my wife is the COO. I'm the CEO of Club Tattoo, and I'm more the brand visionary of where we're going to take the uh, the brand Club Tattoo, and she really is the administrative genius behind the brand, and she is uh, the designer and the look and feel of Club Tattoo. So she's been dealing with that for the last six months. We started swinging hammers with our construction team about four weeks ago, and we are opening October 1st again, in the uh, in the Venetian Grand Canal shops in Las Vegas. So we're very excited about that. It's a very high-class, uh, very world-renowned property. And that's, uh, that's the, the heavy thing that we're doing right now as far as Club Tattoo is concerned. Wow, that's fabulous. And again, all these things, like, you know, you could flash back when you talked about your grassroots and, you know, and see everything that has transpired over, over time. And, you know, it, it seems that, what you had talked about with you and your wife, you focus on what you're good at. She focuses on what she's good at. And you have all these other pieces of the puzzle, you know, focusing on what they're good at to really work effectively in an interdependent way. I mean, no better way to operate a business, in my opinion. So I think it's 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 fabulous. You know, I would love to have the people, uh, you know, here get their hands on your book. I, I fully enjoyed reading your book. Uh, the Tattoo Millionaire. I wanted to, you know, see if we could maybe, you know, could talk just a couple minutes, shed some key insights from your book and, uh, you know, and also, you know, let people know where they could also find it and so forth. Sure. So you can find Tattooed Millionaire. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can you can uh, find that on Club Tattoo or SeanDowdell.com. Uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere. Uh, it's been selling really well over the past uh, two years it's been out. Uh, the forward was written by my um, my my great friend and uh, business partner who is past Chester Bennington. Uh, the book came out about uh, seven months or so before he passed, and uh, at least we got to work on that project together. Uh, and he was a, a really great business partner for my wife and I. Uh, the Tattooed Millionaire, basically, uh, hopefully it's not as a, a pretentious of a read as the title sounds. I know sometimes it might <laughs> scare little people off. But really, uh, I talk a lot about my, my, how my business and my partnership with my wife and Chester uh, you know, came about, how, how the business came to be, what the business model and the thought processes were, and putting everything together. And I talk a lot about my failures, you know, what we did and what we did wrong and, and how we recovered from that. Is I think a lot of things that um, you know, motivational speakers and, and uh, these business consultants, they, they gloss over um, when, I, when I'm sitting in these seminars uh, or speaking at events. They talk about, I've never had a failure in my life. And I think to myself, that's such BS. That's, BS, that's not, absolutely. You, you, you're, you're trying to call failures by another name and pretending it's not a failure. That's not the way life works. In order to grow, you have to recognize what it is you failed at. That's the first step. You have to figure out how not to do that again, and then you have to learn how to do it better the next time, and that's that's the growth pattern, right? So I talk a lot about our failures and how we rebounded from that, and uh, I think the biggest takeaway from my book is how to add value when when you are in a minority position. So, um, you know, coming from the tattoo industry, you you wouldn't believe the amount of judgment uh, of of 
of people that judgment from people or other business people that we would get in almost every business situation. You know, we find ourselves in rooms dealing with billionaires and, and, and hundred, you know, multi, multi-millionaire, uh, business owners that we're talking about trying to open our, our tattoo studios on their properties. And, and they, you know, are initially they, their mind goes to what I was talking about in 1995, this old CD biker establishment, right? And it takes us, you know, usually less than five minutes to articulate our positions and win them over 99% of the time because we actually know our metrics. We know what we're talking about. We have a successful business model and, and our aesthetic is beautiful, right? So for us, uh, in that book is how can you add value to whatever it is you're doing? Uh, it goes all the way down to the street level and partnering with those uh, uh, brand alignments we were talking about earlier, all the way up into how are we going to add value to Planet Hollywood when we open up this $2 million store? Why is it that we're going to make their already fabulous, cool casino hotel, how are we going to make them even cooler? And that's what we focus on when we go into these um, strategic partnerships. So adding value, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway from the from the book. Wow, and that's fabulous. Well, and you, when I saw you speak uh, at the event in where we, you know, had first met in April in Scottsdale, I mean, you were adamant about that. You know, failure is part of part of the process to success, and I can't agree with you more. It, it is, you know, because we learn from those failures. It's part of that process to get us to where we want to be. If without it, we can't truly be grateful and appreciate than where we are now going forward. So it's so true. You you also have an, uh, we have a few minutes left. Um, you have a, 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 from your band days here, you're getting the band back together. You have an album coming out in November. So let's just talk a little bit about that. You know, what what's going to be on the album, when it's going to come out and, and the message behind it. So uh, uh, like I had mentioned before, uh, you know, I came from the band Grey Days, and uh, the lead singer was Chester Bennington. Uh, in October of 2016, Chester and I decided to put the band back together. He wanted to have something a little bit different than Linkin Park, and uh, we decided to do a reunion show, and we were going to work on a new record together. We started doing all that. Unfortunately, Chester passed away in July of 2017. Um, about eight months, ten months passed after he passed, and I had all these tracks done with him and we decided to finish the record uh, we had all of his vocals done for all of the songs and we are finishing up mixing the record right now it's going to be coming out on a major label here uh, hopefully in November and I think the fans of Chester are going to be absolutely elated we have uh, two albums worth of material and it is mind-blowing when you get to hear the passion and emotion in his voice and these songs it is just something I am so proud of uh, I'm surprised that I'm doing it um, at my age. I uh, didn't really want to go back into trying to be a rock star. So at this point, I think it's more about curating these uh, these beautiful songs in my buddy's, uh, my buddy's voice. I want to make sure his legacy is something um, that people get to see this side of him. They know him from Lincoln Park, but they don't really know him from Great A's, but they're about to. And I think they're going to be very impressed with what he did. Absolutely. The grassroots, like you talked about, that's where it started. And you were a true friend, but indeed, and I cannot wait for it to come out. I'm looking forward to it. We will definitely be promoting and sharing uh, the details of the album here on the Sustainable Success Radio Show and all of our social media handles. Sean, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart you know, for joining us today. I mean, you just shed shed so much information and words of wisdom from the heart to really help our audience, really help them in not only identifying, but developing their brands. 
And we are wishing you much success with that new opening in Las Vegas, as well as with the album coming out in November. And again, we want to personally thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Chris. I really appreciate it. Great interview. Thank you so much. And again, audience, we thank you each and every week for joining us here on Sustainable Success. We know that there are a lot of things going on during the day. You got work, you got things to do with your family, but you take time to listen into the show. And it's our job here to bring in guests like Sean that to deliver words of wisdom and great strategic insight to help you in your business as well as in your personal life. Again, this uh, issue or this episode will be available later today on demand uh, in full f- for the full episode. And again, we look forward to bringing an, uh, another guest next week with great content. So come back next week, and we'll see you then. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.